be a stretch to say that today, in our world, given the times in which we live, that many feel wounded and weakened. Wounded and weakened. COVID-19 just made it all the way to 2021. All the political polarity and the shifts, the tensions, the economic hurdles that we are under, the racial division, all the forms of hate that we see in our society, not to mention our own sins, our own struggles, circumstances of our lives, the conflict we may be experiencing in some meaningful relationship, even maybe a marriage, the fears that we have, the anxieties that we feel, our marriages, parent-child relationships, even the soon and sudden death of uh, someone that we love. These kinds of things can bring us to a place where we feel wounded, we feel weakened. Maybe even venturing into the tumultuous waters of hopelessness. I wonder if some of you feel this today yourselves. Some of you feel the weight of the days in which we live. You feel the weight of your own lives and you find yourselves wounded, weakened, and maybe even feeling a sense of hopelessness. Is that you today? Is that where you are this morning? The question we bring to you is this. In the midst of our wounds and weaknesses, in the midst of our struggling with hopelessness, on what do we place our hope? On what do we place our hope? Maybe more accurately asked this question, in whom? In whom do you place your hope? I want to tell you right now, in the midst of your life, in the midst of this age, when you're feeling weak, wounded, or feeling anything for that matter, set your hope on Jesus Christ. Period, end of story. Set your hope on Jesus Christ today. But the question begs itself with such a claim. Why? Why should we place our faith, our hope, our trust, our expectation of a brighter tomorrow? Why should we place our faith, our hope, on Jesus. And for that we bring our attention to the word of God. Matthew chapter 12 verses 15 through 21. Matthew 12:15 through 21. Why should we place our hope in Jesus? Why should we set our hope on Jesus Christ? Verse 15 of chapter 12 says this, Jesus aware of this withdrew from there, and many followed him, 
and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said today, Amen. 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 We see a dark verse in our previous passage. Shows the state of a human heart. Apart from a work of the Spirit, it shows us that people are set against in their hearts the Lord Jesus Christ. We see it in verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against Him how to destroy him. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, had heard Jesus' message. They had seen his works. And they had what? Set their heart against Jesus. They literally wanted to kill him. Jesus was a threat to him. And verse 15 tells us that Jesus is aware of this. Jesus understands. He knows, right? Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. Jesus knew what was going on. Jesus understood and could see the state of their hearts. Now, it's possible that somebody whispered this into his ear. It's possible that they checked their, he checked his iPhone and he saw that Frankie the Pharisee had tweeted out what he wanted to do with Jesus. We understand the silliness of that. The truth is he knew because Jesus always knows everything. Jesus knows. We saw this in the previous passages where we see that Jesus, knowing what they're thinking in their hearts... Jesus knows. He sees. Even now, as we come together today, Jesus knows and He sees the true motives of your heart. He knows you, inside and out. Knows you more than you know yourself. He knows every hair upon your head. He knows you. He understands you completely because He is God. That's who Jesus is. Jesus knows. And knowing what the Pharisees were thinking, and what their plan was, the text tells us that he withdraws. He knows that they want to fight. And Jesus does what we may not expect, given his power and his authority, given his identity. What he would be able to do with the Pharisees, the text tells us that Jesus, knowing this, he withdraws. He walks away from a fight. Imagine that in 2021. Jesus walks away from a fight. And for you non-confrontational types, that gives you a certain amount of relief, doesn't it? For your 
the conflict avoiders in the room, there's a little bit of, phew, because conflict scares the living daylights out of you, and you're not really interested in that. But you understand, if you're a Jew, though, waiting for your Messiah, if you're a Jew waiting for your Messiah to come and and take the throne by force and overthrow Rome in all that was oppressing you, the idea of a non-confrontational Messiah just doesn't register. You see, they wanted a leader that would come and take control by force. That's what they wanted. But the text tells us that Jesus does not do that. He does not come in this moment to fight the Pharisees. He withdraws. It's not his time. And he knows that. He's secure in his identity, and so secure in his identity and in his power that he does not need in this moment to exercise his power to gain control. He does not need to do that. I wonder if some of us could, could learn from Jesus a little bit in that regard. He does not do that. He does not use his authority to gain an earthly throne, at least at this time. He knows who he is. He's not confused regarding his kingdom, how it will be established. He's not confused about his identity as king, and yet he withdraws. He will not serve their expectations about how the Messiah would come and restore the glory to Israel. He would not entertain such confusion about the king that would come and the kingdom that he would bring. And I wonder even more, without pushing too hard, if in our day we would do well to be careful not to uh, attach the king and his kingdom to distorted expectations and political ambitions. Let's be careful about that. Jesus withdraws. He's not interested in a fight with the Pharisees at this time. So he does that. But you have to understand his withdrawal was not just because he wasn't interested in conflict. His withdrawal signifies so much more than that. The text tells us, verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. His withdrawal, his approach in this moment is much more than just lack of interest in conflict with the spiritual uh, uh, rulers of the day. Jesus is living and ministering in a way that is consistent and a fulfillment of what the Lord had promised long ago in the prophet Isaiah. And we see immediately that we have a reason right here to set our hope solely on Jesus Christ. Here's our first reason. And I'm going to unpackage it a little bit. The first reason we set our hope on Jesus is because of who he uniquely is. There's no one like Jesus who brings about the purposes of God, who fulfills the word and the promises laid out in scripture. There's no one like Jesus. So we set our hope on Jesus because of who he uniquely is. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Amen? We've heard this before. In Matthew's gospel, we have heard this before. We read it all the way back in the birth narratives. 
the way Jesus was born. What does Matthew tell us? This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. That that is why Jesus is present in the world. That is his mission. Not to get into some squabble with the Pharisees. His mission is to fulfill the will of the Father. To bring about the Father's redemptive purposes in the world. And that is what Jesus is doing. And only He can do it. Therefore, our hope in this world should be on Him. And I think it's important for us to to see the nature of God in this. That He is faithful to every one of His promises. If he keeps a promise, or if he makes a promise, he keeps it. And he keeps it specifically in the person of Jesus. And for this we can set our hope on Christ. What an encouragement for us. I don't know about you, but over the last 15 months, there's been a struggle in my own soul. I wonder if you felt this. Having a hard time trusting anyone, placing our hope in anyone or anything outside of ourselves. There's a lot of skepticism in our day. We feel manipulated by government, media. We feel manipulated by corporations. Sometimes those kinds of feelings of distrust and skepticism of something outside of us that we think is coming at us to get something from us, we have a certain amount of skepticism to entrust ourselves to something other than ourselves. And I wonder if some of that mentality can leak into our own soul and even affect the way that we relate to the God of the universe, Jesus Himself. You struggling with that this morning? Do you feel this, not sure I believe that in you, in a greater way? Not sure I trust that. Something's trying to manipulate me. Something's coming at me, trying to get something from me. So the preacher up there, that's what he's doing this morning. But understand this, when it comes to Christ, we have no need to fear manipulation. When it, when it comes to hoping in Jesus Christ, we have, no, we have no concern about being oppressed. We have no concern about being coerced. We're not being taken advantage of by the living God. No. We can trust Him. We can hope in Him because He's faithful to every one of His good promises toward us. Can someone rest in that today? That we can set our hope on Jesus for who He is. That He's faithful to fulfill every one of the promises of God. You can't say that about anyone else other than Christ. Amen? So we set our hope on Jesus for who He is. He's faithful to fulfill. But He's not just that. Verse 18, Behold my servant whom I have chosen. My beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. He's not only the one who's faithful to fulfill. He is the very servant of the Lord. The servant of the Lord there in Isaiah is a central figure in the book. The servant of the Lord is the one who will do what Israel failed to do. Serve God's purposes in the world. You see, Israel, with all this receiving of grace and blessing from the Lord, turned to idols. They served false gods. But in Isaiah, we hear of the servant of the Lord that would come and be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to God. Even unto death. 
In these four servant songs in Isaiah, you get the end, the, the, the climactic moment where you see the way in which the servant of the Lord would bring about the will of the Lord. And Isaiah 53 says this, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. Look at this. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Don't miss that phrase. In the, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand through the servant of the Lord. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus will serve the Lord. Jesus will bring about the will of the Lord. Jesus will do so in such a way that saves us from our sins. So we set our hope on Jesus, the servant. But not only is he the servant of the Lord, he is the dearly loved son of the Lord. We see that. My beloved with whom I'm well pleased. That language brings us back to Matthew 3.17 at the baptism of Jesus where the father says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Set your hope on Jesus today for who He is. He's the one faithful to fulfill. He's the chosen servant of the Lord. And He is the dearly loved Son of the living God. We have every reason in just that to place our trust and our hope in Jesus Christ. But not only that. Not only for who He is but how he serves. Isaiah and Matthew tell us more. He says, I will put my spirit upon him. The ministry of Jesus, the servitude of Jesus, is one empowered by the Spirit of God. He's depended upon, relying upon, and filled with the very Spirit of God. And in this moment, we see in Jesus a, a, a work of the Trinity in bringing about the purposes of God in the world. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Talk about credibility when it comes to what should we place our hope in. It is a work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Spirit of God is upon Jesus to serve His purposes. All the more reason to guide our hope. But look at what else he says. Verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry aloud. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A breeze rude he will not uh, read he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not quench. What does this mean? Well, first of all, not quarreling, crying aloud just means he's not looking for a fight. That Jesus, as the servant of the Lord, is retreating to the margins of society. He's not on the main street. He's not on Route 11, quarreling in the streets. No, he's, he's retreating to the margins to bring healing and wholeness to those who are feeling weak and wounded. In this moment, 
we get an amazing picture of the way Jesus Christ, as the servant of the Lord, the Spirit-empowered Son, ministers to a weak and wounded world. Do you see it this morning? It's refreshing. It's amazing what we see this morning. He says, a breezed root, uh, 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 a bruised reed. (laughs) Mike, you've got breeze on my mind. I just can't think of breeze. Anyway, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. What does that mean? Maybe language that we don't use today, a metaphor that maybe we wouldn't understand. It's as simple as this. Uh, a reed, there were, there were reeds everywhere, right? And they were used for many purposes. You think of reeds that kind of hollow on the inside. They could be turned into an instrument or a flute or a pen. You could write with it. You understand? Listen, if the, if the reed is bruised, it's not worth anything. If the reed is bruised, uh, um, it is, it's, not, it's worthless. There's no value. Okay, so what would happen is a a broken or a crushed or a bruised reed would just simply be broken up more, thrown to the side, maybe even burned, disregarded. He's saying that's not how Jesus approaches the weak and the wounded. Jesus doesn't approach the bruised reed and just break it up and throw it aside and burn it. And some of you feel like that's where you are today. And you wonder, how would Christ come in relationship to me? Would he see me as worthless? No value? Broken and bruised? And just kick me to the curb and look for something else? The text tells us that is not the way that Jesus approaches uh, the wounded at all. But he comes to the wounded gently. The, The smoldering wick, he will not quench. What does that mean? You can imagine uh, the, 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 the wick of a candle and the oil that would be there and necessary for the wick to burn. This idea that the, the wick was almost out of oil. It's just about gone. It's so depleted. There's nothing left. And what do people do in that moment? It's over. They quench it. And they move on, and they find another candle. But Jesus doesn't approach the smoldering wick that way at all. If they're in a a, a place of depletion, in a place of weakness, when there's absolutely nothing left in the tank, Jesus does not quench us. No, we understand the significance of what Isaiah is saying about the way Jesus serves. We understand the significance about what Matthew was trying to tell us. He's not there for a fight. No, he's withdrawing to the margins and he's approaching the weak and the wounded of the world in a gentle, humble way to bring healing. And I wonder for you that have felt that this morning, weak and wounded, I want you to see that the servant of the Lord comes to you in that place as gentle healer. Gentle healer. What a contrast from what Isaiah knew, right? That, that Cyrus, 
the, the king was going to come to Israel in a state of total depletion and crush it. And what a contrast to the Pharisees who continue to put poisonous legalism onto the people of God to crush them in their weakened and wounded state. But Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about this morning? He knows. He sees, and he comes to us as the gentle, humble restorer. He fills up what is lacking, and he gently carries us in our bruised state. He's he's gentle toward you today in your wounds and your weaknesses. If you're in a battle with a sin today, struggling with an addiction Jesus has not come to you to crush you. He comes gently. If you've been affected by or hurt by someone else's sin, you've been hurt today, Jesus doesn't come to you harshly. He comes gently. If you're living under the weight and expectations of somebody else putting on you, if you're feeling that legalistic pressure. Jesus comes to you in your place gently. If you're feeling the parental regrets of inadequacy and failure, he comes to you in that place gently. If you're enduring suffering right now, or you're caring for someone else who is suffering, Jesus comes to you gently. If you're dealing with sickness, chronic pain, mental illness, bipolar disorder, even death, Jesus comes to you gently. He will not break you. He will not quench you. If you're sick of COVID-19, And just living in the fatigue of all of this silliness. He comes to you. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Amen? That's Jesus. Gentle Jesus. I wonder if some of us would do well to think about the way in which Jesus approaches a weakened, wounded world. I wonder if some of us would think about how we could do evangelism as a local church. What if our posture toward a a world that does not know Jesus, and yet living with all of these things, what if our posture was less quarrelsome Particularly on social media. What if we were less quarrelsome? What if we were gentle and weak uh, and humble with this wounded world? Would that maybe gain us a more credible hearing of the message we have for the world? 
And our message is of Christ, the servant. How do you preach servant and yet constantly go after people in the way you relate? There's a disconnect, friends. May we be light in this darkness. May we be people of peace in a world that is so hostile. Because Jesus is gentle. It's who he is. Set your hope on Jesus today for who he is and what he, I'm sorry, and how he serves. Who he is, how he serves. And last, what he accomplishes. Set your hope on Jesus today for what he accomplishes. And he and he alone accomplishes this. Look what he says. 18b, put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Or you could translate it to the nations. To the nations. Verse 20b, until he brings justice to victory and in his name, the Gentiles, the nations will hope. Jesus is the only hope for the nations because of what he alone accomplishes, and that is justice. What a word today. What a word that is today. Justice is the word of our day. Is it not? It's the word of our day. It's what people crave. I want justice. People are hypersensitive to it. People are pursuing justice. Let's pause for a moment and just say, that is a good Thing. Justice is good. Justice is what Jesus preaches. Justice is what Jesus brings. It's what he accomplishes. And for many of us, some form of injustice is what is bringing about your wounds and your weaknesses. Let me say it different. Something is wrong. In the world, something is wrong in us. Something is wrong, and it should be right. That is a holy craving. I want you to hear that. If you love Jesus, you embrace Christ, you believe in the church, you care about justice, you want To make right what is wrong in this world. You want that. But sadly, culture has sought to redefine it. Culture, in its craving of it, has sought to redefine justice. Without getting into a lengthy thing right now, I want to be very clear. Be very careful how you engage Critical race theory, intersectionality, Marxist ideologies that are not biblical. 
Be very careful. Think, Christian. Consider these things. Listen, too. Listen. That'd be a good posture today. And all the talking. Listen. But let's be very clear. Even as the church has fallen victim to buying into redefinitions of justice, they have, they have ignored biblical categories, and they are starting to embrace the understanding of justice in our world. Even as we fall victim to these things, we must be very uh, careful and committed to doing what is right. To caring for the oppressed. We must not redefine justice, however, outside of biblical understanding and paradigm. We must not. Ray Ortland said this, and I think it's helpful. Injustice is more than a political dysfunction. It is a spiritual evil. An outright denial of God. So when we separate and take Jesus and God and Scripture out of our understanding of justice, and we begin to apply man-made theories and ideologies, we get in trouble when it comes to justice. Let me say it maybe a little bit more specific. For justice, the nations must come to Jesus. He's the proclaimer of it. He's the provider of it. You must come to Jesus. But the wonderful news that we hear, don't miss this. The wonderful news, this is good news. Because this, Isaiah is telling us, Matthew is telling us, and the point that we must not see is that in Jesus Christ, He will preach and bring the true justice that this world craves. It's always through Jesus. Justice cannot be found in any other place from any other person other than Jesus. Isaiah tells us that. Matthew tells us that. Jesus does it. It's Jesus. For justice, the nations must come to Jesus. And that's wonderful news because Jesus preached it to the nations and he provided it for the nations. And now the nations can hope in him. And so can you. Set your hope on Jesus for what he alone accomplishes. Justice. Ray Ortland goes on to say, the hope of the world lies in the servant of the Lord. The delight of God, the quiet healer, the man for others who wields the one true power that exists. The power to reorder human civilization, not by bullying, but by suffering. He's the servant. Not by imposing demands on us but by absorbing our sins and miseries into himself. And the furthest coastlands will not dread his approach. They will wait eagerly for his law. This is Jesus. Even in reference to the wounded and weakened nations who are living under the thumb of injustice, Jesus comes to the world gently, not to break it, not to quench it, 
but to restore and heal all that is wrong and broken. That's Jesus Christ. And he does that by being the servant, not the soldier. That's an amazing thing. That's what makes Jesus, biblical Christianity, unique beyond every other world religion and ideology. This is Christ. It's unique. So set your hope on Jesus for what he accomplishes. For who he is, how he serves, and what he accomplishes. Simply put, this morning, every person in this room, everyone listening online, Jesus is your only hope today. And you say, well, duh. 40 minutes for this? Jesus is your only hope? That's all you got? I knew that coming in. I think that's kind of where we've been over the last really couple months in Matthew. Every week, it's the same message. Well, Matthew is trying to teach us something. And it's very specific. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. It's about knowing Jesus. You say, well, I know Jesus. Yeah, I know you do. Praise be to God. I understand that. You say, you got to give me something more practical than that. This doesn't affect Tuesday afternoon when I'm in a sales meeting. Give me something more practical. Friend, can I just gently ask you, what is more practical than having a knowledge of Jesus Christ? Is there anything more life-transforming than having a knowledge of Jesus Christ? Is there anything more valuable and significant than week in and week out getting to know in greater measure Jesus? If you want something more than Jesus, we will let you down weekly. If you want Jesus so that you can have something else, we will let you down weekly. But if you're here today and you want to know who Jesus is in a deeper way, in a greater measure, that's what Matthew's doing for us. You're getting to know Jesus more. You may have come in here today and said, Jesus is God. And Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus died for me. Amen. But there's more. Those things are sufficiently true to save you. But there's more. There's more. Today you learned more. And it's my prayer and hope that as you see Jesus, that all the more it, it anchors your hope in him further. It's deeper. Just every week. Deeper anchored in Jesus, your hope. And less and less in the things of this world. And less and less in yourself. That as you get to know Jesus, more and more, it's deeper, it's wider, it's fuller than it's ever been. As many of you know, my grandmother, a member of this congregation, went home to be with Jesus this Friday morning. This kind of hope characterized her life. Hope in Jesus. It shaped who she was and how she lived. 
abundantly generous, always available to serve people. It guided her refreshing simplicity. Like in all the complexities, it was refreshingly simple to talk with her about life. And as she suffered for six years until Friday morning, it gave her joy in her suffering. She knew. She knew Jesus. And she placed her faith, her hope, and her trust. Her name, Carolyn, means beautiful. She was a beautiful woman. But her hope was not in herself. Her beauty was not really in herself. It was something given to her. It was something crafted in her, placed in her. And it was Jesus. She said to me in her final days, she was considering seeing Jesus with her eyes. Because again, Jesus was her hope. Jesus was her hope. She said, I can't imagine anything more beautiful than that. I can't imagine it. Well, now she doesn't imagine it anymore, does she? She sees him. Her wounds and her weaknesses are no more because her hope was in Jesus. Amen? So may your hope be there. In your wounds and weaknesses, set your hope on Jesus for who he is, how he serves, and for what he accomplishes. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you for the redemptive work that you have planned, promised, and accomplished in Jesus Christ, the Son. I pray that every person here, in their wounds, their weaknesses, their sins, their suffering, would turn away from this world and all that it offers. And just continue to drive the stake of their hope into the rock of Jesus Christ. Enable this, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.